of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are appearing as private individuals. <laughs> yeah, their comments don't necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. <laughs> also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always remember your training, consider your situation, and... Fly that aircraft! So we have not one, not two, but count them, three oddball stories to start out this week. Uh, it's just like an embarrassment of riches here, okay? First one, let's see now. What order should we go? Can you say runway incursion? Did you see this? I just came across this this afternoon. I, I'm just looking at it now. This is apparently... Oh, you guys haven't seen this before? No, this is, this is what? This is the runway at Gibraltar Airport in... Apparently, it's not Spain, but over there, Rocca Gibraltar, right? Yeah. Well, it's the tip of oh. Portugal, yeah. yeah. And yeah. and apparently, for whatever reason, they have a, a major street, city street, like a, what is it, two, I'm waiting for the picture to come up here on my screen, but it's like a... Well, it's, a uh, it's a four it's a four lane yeah. street with two commuter lanes outside those four lanes. Yeah. Yeah. Cutting right across yeah. the runway, all right? Like they, like they need a commuter lane on Gibraltar. <laughs> well, I think that might be for runway, uh, for airport support traffic, because the vehicles be. I see on it look like a fuel truck. No, and, I'm not yeah. buying it, man. That's like real. That's everyday traffic, man. That's like cars well, and trucks. Not, and not well, in the I, I, I see what he's talking about. I see. Yeah, in the about. outside lane like the there, truck. on yeah. the right side of the major traffic right. is a I fuel see that. truck. Yeah, yeah. But and uh, uh, it looks like those lanes feed in and out of the ramp, so mm-hmm. that ramp traffic that needs to cross the runway, airport support doesn't have to merge with the traffic. Right, right, right. Yeah. And there was another picture. Yeah, here it is. That shows the uh, gates that they mm-hmm. open and close, so mm-hmm. that uh, the planes can take off and land. I want to like see a some video like of this. Like a railroad crossing. Yeah, I want to see some video of this too. I'm sure there's somebody, something out there. This is just uh, like... I, I, I guess I kind of knew about this, but I didn't know about it. I mean, I hadn't certainly hadn't seen these images. Oh, this is trippy. I'll tell That's, you, it's like uh, it just like boggles the mind. TS people would have like a conniption, right? You know, it's and, like an, an old an old demo pilot that uh, used to you know campaign things like twin otters and uh, and such around the the world. He he mentioned this in a, a evening of <clears throat> refreshment uh, where we were talking about odd airports to go in and out of. And he described this scene at Gibraltar. And, in fact, in one of the shots on the link that we'll have up, you can see the rock at Gibraltar in the background. And, no, it's not an insurance ad. Uh, and I, I hadn't seen these pictures until a few months ago. And uh, it kind of made my jaw drop because the difference between hearing the story in the abstract and seeing the images of how it works in real flight. Uh, he said that he was actually you know, required to hold it outside uh, uh, the uh, airport pattern shortly one day while they waited for traffic to clear enough to close the gates for him to land an airplane I, there. I was going to ask, I mean, wh- what takes precedence? I don't, uh, you know, you, you call in from 20 out or something like that, and, uh, yeah, and they I say, well, know. you know, hopefully we'll have the street cleared by the time you get here. Right. At what uh, point do you close, do you, do you put down the little crossing bars, you know, and... Uh, so I don't know. See, I, I watch. Think, think when you establish with the tower, uh, think of it you know, as they're going to uh, close the gate and wait for it to clear, and then yeah. close the other gate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, think, think about it. Gibraltar is a British protectorate. Yeah. Okay. It didn't belong to Spain or Portugal, although geographically, that's you know the the isthmus that it's attached to. Uh, there aren't any other airports in Gibraltar. Given. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So not all, the traffic, all the traffic there is going to be international. Okay. So you well, don't maybe. just hop across borders, even in Europe, without some kind of uh, notification. I believe that even VFR stuff out there has to file flight plans when they're going through the air traffic system, going international. So you're saying uh, that there are like no 152s doing touch and goes here? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there should be no surprise arrivals. Uh, okay. Yeah. 
All right. Well, so that's oddball number one. That's pretty strange. Check out the pictures, folks, on the... And, and, and think about think, that. Think, think of a drawbridge without the draw. Airplane. There you go. And think of taking a GA airplane in there and crossing that intersection and waving at all those people, and they're looking at you going, you held us up for that little thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. And, and, and what if some drunk decides to run, rush the gate and just drive on through at the wrong time? Well, you know, I know. I know. Let's not go there. But, uh, yeah, well. Okay, number two. Number two. So uh, last week... <laughs> not, not that we're in a rush. Or... A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the passenger who saw the fuel leaking out of the wingtip. Then last week or a couple of weeks ago, uh, following on that, we talked about the, uh, the uh, Thomas Cook Airlines flight that the passengers revolted and wouldn't board because they were afraid that it was going to, like, they were all going to die. Uh and now we have uh, yet another uh, oddball mechanical problem here. And uh, yet again, our friend Co- Thomas Cook Airlines here, um, which I, I'm really going to think very, very carefully about ever riding on Thomas Cook Airlines. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened this time is uh, this, I'm reading from a story in uh, cbc.ca. This is, I believe, Canada's tel- uh, uh, news uh, network TV service. Yeah. News service okay. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And it, an expected flight delay of eight hours was reduced to just 35 minutes after one of the passengers came forward to help fix a plane bound for Scotland. The incident involved a Thomas Cook flight from Menorca, Spain, that was getting ready to leave for Glasgow. And uh, the, uh, as the BBC reported, passengers were told there was a mechanical problem. It would take eight hours for an engineer to be flown in. That's when one of the passengers identified himself as a qualified engineer, one who worked for... Thompson Fly, a company with a reciprocal maintenance agreement with Thomas Cook, uh, and the guy stepped forward and fixed the airplane. Now, uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, my joke was the guy said, "The guy said, well, I'm not really an A and P, but I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express uh, right, last night.' Right, right, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's like the yeah, I, I'm not a gynecologist, but I'll take a look. You know, that old T-shirt. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but you know, it, it, you think about. The, the the long odds that had to exist yeah, that yeah, yeah. Yeah, that this you know when they say qualified engineer they're talking about a a, a mechanic an airplane Licensed mechanic, yeah. and a maintenance technician and the 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 long odds that he was able to fix without a support group without you know maybe his shop tools that he was able or, to diagnose or, or and get this guy running in thirty five minutes yeah. oh my god yeah. Or, Wherever or, he or, sets up shop, you know, I want to know about. I want to know what the problem was that um, it only it took thirty-five minutes 30 to fix <laughs> without parts and tools. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know that. So I don't, I don't know, but you know, everybody's happy, and and uh, you know, it's just one of those things where. Yeah, he is certificated to to work on the airplane. He yes, he works for a company that is. Um, um, you know, has an agreement with the carrier and um, uh, is certificated, you know, to to also do this work. And you know, he's he's able and willing to do it. That's that's good. I, um, they might want to, you know, think about putting someone at that station who can take care of things like this. Yeah, I know, I know. One thing the story doesn't point out, by the way, is that also on that Steve Tupper was there saying, "I'm ready. I'm ready." I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Oh, the well, pilots are here. Darn. Moral, moral of the story is always carry a mechanic. That's right. Always carry a mechanic. Never know when you're going to need one. And then we've got right. number well, that, three. That's the way they used to do it, too. You know, yeah, you, you flew right. with a mechanic. A race car drivers went had mechanics riding with them. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. We've come yeah. a long way, baby. Yeah, right. <laughs> but not this airline. Uh, and then story number three. Uh, this is from a, we- a website called RedOrbit.com. I cannot vouch for their their veracity or their whatever. But uh, here's the story. Uh, Ryanair seeks standing room on planes. Low-cost Irish airline Ryanair says it's seeking permission to sell standing room tickets on flights. Such passengers will be charged less than the regular seats, and Ryanair is seeking permission from the Irish Aviation Authority to allow standing room uh, before ordering new aircraft. Uh, last paragraph, the, the newspaper said, such standing flyers would... I just, I'm sorry, I'm just not buying this. I'm reading this story to you guys, and I'm thinking, this is the onion, right? This is the onion. That's, this, well, this, I, I, check, I had to check the date to make sure it wasn't yeah, April 1. That's right. It says, the newspaper said that such standing flyers would huddle next to what have been described as 
as, quote, bar stools, end quote, to which they would be attached by seat belts. A Ryanair spokesman said, if they approve it, we will be doing it. Here's my question. Here's my my, my question is, how how long is the flight? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. This is just beyond belief. I I cannot. I don't know. This isn't the first time. This isn't the first time that the head of Ryanair has asked for something that kind of broke the mold of the mold of the conventional and was eventually shut down. What else did he ever ask for? I'm trying to remember what the last one was. Seat him, seat him on the wing or something. I don't, you know. (laughs) It's just like standing. What's next? I'll tell you what. It'd be really interesting to see the engineering expense and weight and, and challenge of designing a, a stand-up restraint that you'd be belted to that would uh, hold up to the uh, uh, crash requirements for a FAR 25 airplane seat. Yeah, I'd like to because see that also. Listen, yeah, I can't imagine that that's going to be so much less expensive than just putting in another row of seats. Yeah, now does the uh, do, 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 uh, does a European airline uh, have to follow the same requirements as a as a u.s airline i mean it would seem to me this would be it would seem to me that this would just be be a a non-starter in the united states what with rules about you know passenger briefings and everybody's seated and you know i mean they they won't close the door when you think about what the business jet community had to go through particularly the vendor side of it the interiors people to Mm -hmm. come up with sofas yeah that could be legally occupied during takeoff and landing because they met the uh, uh, imp- impact uh, restraint requirements of, of, of the FAA, and it took and, some and the work. Big and issue, the, the big issue there was sitting sideways. No, the yeah, big issue right. there was sitting sideways. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and sitting sideways, the loads imposed on the body and the restraint uh, uh, issues are a whole lot more uh, severe. Uh, certainly greatly different on the human body and then there was a the whole idea of you know what if there's a bulkhead up there for the head to slam into so you know there was some work put into to to uh, uh resolving that issue and it took a long time and years you could have the side facing seat as they called it uh installed in the airplane and you could use it in flight yeah uh, you know, as long as it passed other tests like uh, 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 impact and burn resistance in the materials and the seat belts were all legal and all that, but it couldn't be occupied during takeoff and landing. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, so, uh, it, you know, well, you they, guys... they may belong onto this idea, but I, if I was Mr. Michael O'Leary, uh, I sure wouldn't uh, I, I sure wouldn't hold my breath for this to yeah, I, you guys are the big yeah. time journalists. I want one of you to figure out whether this is a legitimate story or not. I not whether they're going to pull it off, just whether they really ask. That's what I want to know. So, mm-hmm. so uh, I'll, and uh, in a well, related here's, story, here's 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 how this thing is uh, is going to be received in in the uh, offices of the uh, airworthiness and airline standards people that get this pitch. Uh, the Sun reported that Mr. O'Leary, the uh, uh, the chief executive of Ryanair, said he got the idea from. Chinese airline Spring, which itself estimates estimates it could pack in as many as 50% more passengers and cut costs by 20% by using standing room. And I believe they're talking about standing room for the entire aircraft. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Well, I've I read about this, and I believe they're talking about converting to a, a, a restraint system where everybody stands up. You don't need leg room. Mm-hmm. Why, yeah. don't we, why don't we just... Go to the um, you know like they do in, in some of the science fiction movies where they just put the passengers in suspended animation. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Well, all right, there you go. One, two, and three. We, three. we, we, can, we can suspend belief anyway, but three. Uh, uh, and, and by the way, while we're talking here, uh, same story worded differently, written differently on um, the Telegraph um, Telegraph uh, London Telegraph website. All right, well, there's a better source. Yeah, UK. Okay. For anybody that anybody Jamaica, that thinks that GA's got some weird stuff in it, here's three, and, and the last one in particular, to show you just what a land of the weird the commercial carriers can right. be. That's right. Anyways, all right. Hey, welcome, folks, to episode 143 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast 
recording this episode on uh, Wednesday evening, July 8th, 2009. And uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar is uh, Dave Higdon, who's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hey, David, how you doing? Oh, doing great so far. Uh, had a... Had a, had, had a wonderful Fourth of July weekend. It involved a lot of airplanes and a lot of airplane people, and that oh, really? was really what'd wonderful. you do? Uh, started the morning out at Dead Cow. Uh, met up with a couple of friends. Uh, saddled up uh, with one of them in a vintage Cessna 195, mm-hmm. and we made the laborious. No, uh, oh, I don't want to over pitch it here. We made the laborious uh, ten mile flight west to a private strip where uh, a group of vintage aircraft people uh, were hosting their annual Independence Day pancake breakfast uh, on a private strip, grass strip. Uh, Visited with those folks, had a great breakfast, uh, got recruited to join in a 4th of July parade flyover. So Mm -hmm. we in the Cessna 195 were part of, I believe it was nine aircraft total that did uh, the parade route twice. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, and then from there, we bopped up to Newton, Kansas, uh, Echo Whiskey Kilo, I believe is the designator, uh, where EAA Chapter 88 held its annual uh, Independence Day weekend fly-in. And uh, got to see some friends, some nice old aircraft, some nice new aircraft. Uh, whole, got to see a whole lot of young eagles uh, get flown. Uh, had a, a great... Charcoal Grilled Air Show Cheeseburger. Uh, <laughs> visited with some friends. Uh, showed off my buddy's 195 to some uh, uh, civilians. And then uh, we motored back to Dead Cow and popped open a, uh ice-cold soda. That sounds cool. <laughs> that sounds cool. I, I believe every part about that story except the soda. <laughs> <laughs> and also joining us here in the hangar is Jeb Burnside. He's talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you? I'm spiffy. Yeah. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm okay. Uh, what what you been up to? Did you do anything for the 4th? I did not. I kind of hung around the house, um, uh, took it easy. I did find my uh, my cache of fireworks and uh, unleashed a few. Um, tried to wake up the neighborhood a little bit that night. Um, my, I, I've kind of... Um, g- getting the airplane ready f- for Oshkosh, so it's it's in a couple of pieces. Uh, mm-hmm. Thankfully, all the pieces are in the same zip code. These That's days. always a good thing. Yeah, yeah. it's always a good thing. But um, uh, right now, uh, it's not uh, it's not flyable. So uh, I didn't get a chance to to get out over the weekend. I wish I had. Yeah, and I'm wish Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking to you today from uh, rainy and oh so humid Orlando, Florida, where I'm. Uh, on business for one of my shows, and uh, it's just like, you're right, it's raining all the time down here. It's just crazy. Although you tell me now well, it's know, beautiful down there, right? It, it, it was. We had a really nice day. I, I worked from the house today. I was working on a project for uh, my day job, and um, it was hot, but there was a steady breeze. Um, clouds were moving past, not a drop of rain, uh, low humidity. Um, really a very, very nice summer day here in Florida. Yeah. It's just hot and humid, and it's been you know, very nearly overcast all the time. And I'm seeing these these big, big honking gray thunderstorm things wandering by left and right. And uh, although it rains pretty regularly, I haven't heard any serious thunder and lightning. So uh, it's just it's it's definitely something here. And uh, you know, you look at the weather radar, and you definitely got the pepperoni pizza thing going almost all the time here. So uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's interesting. It's nice though. It's yeah. It's Florida, yeah, it's, it's man. Change, Florida. You know, I go outdoors and it your, smells like Florida. Yeah, it's funny. I always associate the smell of the air here with Disney World. This is my first, my first, the oh, first times huh. I ever visited Florida were when I, when I went to Disney World. And the if you live in New England, the air down here smells has a different smell to it. I mean, and not a bad yeah. smell. Just it, it, yeah. it, in my view, it's because things plant life lives all the time it never dies in the winter time yeah. so so there's yeah. more of a yeah. more of a kind of earthy smell in the air and then of course it is hum- more humid and typically warmer and uh, i like the smell it reminds me of disney world you know so well you might also have you know some more aromatic plants too yeah, it's possible too yeah I, no it's that's what the, it's the area i don't like. know and, there, and there's yeah. lizards everywhere i love the lizard that's like i just think it's cool oh yeah like, yeah little, we got to whatever those little gecko they're not geckos they're chameleons geckos yeah, geckos right. so, who knows yeah anyways 
so uh so yeah i'm down here and i'll uh, be here for uh, actually i'll be here for the next episode as well and uh and then i head home for a couple of days and then turn around and go to oshkosh so i'm looking forward to that wow what's going on there yeah well, a little flying yeah. you might want to think about oshkosh yeah have we do we know anything about that oshkosh right. yeah okay Speaking of the fly-in that's coming in a couple of weeks, uh, we have a special visitor joining us in the hangar this uh, week uh, today, right now, as a matter of fact, and that is the uh, the chairman and president of the of EAA, uh, Tom Polbresny is here. Hi, Tom. How are you? Doing just great. Thanks for having me on. It's hard to oh. believe it's been a year since we did this. I know. It's uh, Time flies when you're having fun, I guess, huh? Well, so uh, I'm glad it flies. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Time flies when you keep busy, too, and you're pretty busy out there. Things are uh, moving along, getting ready for the, uh, the the grand opening in a couple of weeks? Absolutely. It's uh, yeah. less than three weeks away, and this year is significant, not just because of the program's activities, but because it's the most change we've made in the site in the history of the event. We've made significant investments and that's going to be really exciting when people see it for the first time i know i wanted to ask you a little bit about that you know we're through through the ea websites and through some of our friends who have visited oshkosh we've heard a lot about the changes to the convention grounds can you tell us a little bit about that and and what's been changed and why did you make the decision to do this well basically the the process started over two years ago with the planning stage and and we felt it was each year we'd make incremental changes to meet expectations but there's a point in time where you just have to step back and say, if we're going to address the expectations of our members and guests in the aviation community, you have to go back and, and kind of do a, a major rebuild, and that's what we've done. We've invested just short of $4 million in the site and addressed transportation infrastructure, expanded exhibitor space, uh, expanded food pavilions, uh, shade trees, and most importantly, in the campsite, flush toilets. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of people are looking forward to that. Yeah, so... Uh, um, and, and, and one of the icons is gone and replaced and the, the old control tower is down and the new one's replaced it. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of changes, but uh, I'm excited because what it does, it makes the convention site much more friendly to the, to the visitor in terms of moving around the site. Uh, and uh, I think when people see it, they're going to come away saying, I wish you'd have done it sooner. Yeah. Um, in addition to the flush toilets, a lot of people that I talk to um, are interested in, in the new vehicle rules or are there going to be different kind of traffic patterns or something like that for, for vehicles traveling around the grounds? There's different traffic patterns. We're trying to do a better job of separating vehicles and people and and uh, and, and make egress uh, much easier. And uh, with, By putting diagonal roads and additional roads, it makes it easier to get direct to certain locations. And so we're trying to do is save the... St- the number of steps you have to make in a day so you can enjoy the convention even more. That's great. That's great. Well, so once we get there and uh, are taking advantage of these new grounds, what are the highlights this year? What are you looking forward to? Well, it's, it's interesting. I've been chairman of the convention since about 1976. So that's over three decades, which I hate to say in that regard. But each year you say to yourself, can it get any better and you can get more excited. And this year I have to say I'm as excited as, I, as I've ever been for, for two reasons. Number one, this is the best programming in terms of programs, people, planes that we've ever had in, in the history of the event. And number two, we're doing it against a backdrop of an economy that's always fighting. So I think they're looking forward to Oshkosh to hopefully be that shot in the arm that gets aviation turned around. And, and uh, it's being headed up by uh, the first public appearance of White Knight 2, uh, brought in by Scale Composites and Virgin Galactic from uh, Mojave, California. They're going to arrive on opening day on Monday and be with us the entire week until Saturday. And had some great programs related to that. And I had a chance to see White Knight 2 about a month ago. And I had expectations. And I have to say, even after seeing pictures and being briefed on it, seeing it live was was beyond my expectations. The size, the, the styling, the, the whole look, it's, it's, it's beyond what you expect from Burt Rattan and his team. Really? That sounds great. That sounds great. I know you don't like to play favorites, but are there other highlights, uh, activities, or visiting aircraft that people are asking you about a lot? Well, the, the one... The one that's been asked a lot is, is the biggest, and that's the A380. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're bringing the test airplane from Toulouse, France, and, uh, you know, it's it's the first time people really get a chance to see it much away the Concorde in 1985. And because this is the test airplane, it would be interesting, and it's not outfitted as an airliner. They're going to open the airplane for tours. They'll run about 1,000 people an hour through the airplane and that it's there. And it's an interesting story in the fact that the two pilots bringing the airplane, one is Claude Lallet, who's the chief test pilot, and Claude flew in the air show at Oshkosh back in 1983 in the French Creekery, which is the world's smallest twin, so he's returning with the mm-hmm. world's biggest airplane to find the world's smallest in the air show. That's great. The other test that. pilot yeah. is, is Terry, Terry Lutz, and Terry's an EA member that lives in Michigan. He commutes to Toulouse to work for Airbus, and he's 
bought his RV8 over. We're going to have his RV8 parked in the wing, and he, here's a home builder flying the world. So it's a great story of a home builder and an airshow pilot bringing the world's biggest airliner. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Well, we're all looking forward to it. Uh, for the one or two listeners who, who aren't familiar, what are the dates of the fly-in this year? Well, we open up on Monday, July 27th, and go through Sunday, August 2nd, the seven days. And, you know, people always ask me, what's the best day? I have to say, this year, every day is a great day. You know, we talked about the airplanes, but it's also the people and the personalities. And uh, two people that have caught the, uh, the the interest of the aviation community in Oscars this year is the, the flight crew of U.S. Air Flight 1549, mm. uh, Jeff Giles and Sally Jeff will be with us literally from Monday to, to Saturday, and Sally's going to be in on Wednesday to Saturday. We're going to have a special program at Theater in the Woods and attend a number of events. And uh, I've, I've had a chance to talk to them extensively. When you hear their stories behind the scenes, it's, it's really a great story, and aviators are going to be proud. And the other is a young lady, Jessica Cox. I don't know if you've heard about Jessica. No, yes, yes. Yeah, and tell Jessica, us. Jessica's young lady is going to be flying an air coop from Tucson, Arizona, and she was born without arms. Mm-hmm. And, and when you meet Jessica, it just it, 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 it puts proof behind the fact that can do that if you can overcome just about anything. She's mm-hmm. a wonderful, motivational young lady that uh, has captured the imagination and the hearts of so many people and having her there for the week. And uh, I get so alone, the list goes on and on, that there's just something going on every day, every night, uh, that's not the entire event. So yeah. it's a situation you, that if you normally come for one day, you've got to come for two. And if you normally come for two, you better come for four. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. You know, with all the excitement down on the flight line, uh, one of the things that, that some of us tend to miss from some, on some years anyways is the, the museum. Um, as I understand it, there have been some changes in the museum, a new exhibit or something like that. Can you tell us about that? Well, a lot going on there, too. We just... Uh, they added a new exhibit, uh, the Founders Wing, in recognition mm-hmm. of the Founders, my father, Paul Polberezny, and it's a display of the, the artifact from his early days to kind of put the, the story behind how did EA become as successful as it is, and also a display about the story of EA and the growth of Adventure Oshkosh going back to the days in Milwaukee and Rockford. So it really preserves the legacy of EA and establishes the standards are there so that people can understand the culture and, and how a small group of people in Milwaukee built what has become one of the finest aviation organizations in the world. So it's going to be a wonderful story. We're going to dedicate that on opening day, July 20, 27th. So over the past year, um, we've seen a lot of changes, or not a lot, but we've seen some changes to the leadership roles at EAA. So, uh, for example, both you and your dad have new titles. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what that's all about? Well, my dad, you know, one title that he always have is founder. He was the founder of the organization and is recognized as such, but I've become chairman of the board and president, and We've initiated a search for a new president so we can start a succession plan. I want to ensure that, you know, right now the organizations have two presidents, my father and myself, and there won't be a third polarizing in that role, and we want to be sure that we do a thorough job of finding the right person and do a successful transition over time to ensure that the standards, the culture, uh, the innovation, uh, all the things that mediate great are maintained and continue to grow. Have you set any timetable for that? or, or No, it's not, it's not so much time. It's, it's finding the right person, so... Uh, Mm-hmm. We'll move at a pace that's appropriate, and when we have the right person, we'll make an announcement. We talked a little bit about that. Yeah. We talked about the recent changes to the convention grounds. Uh, now I'd like you to look, maybe look into your crystal ball for us. Um, okay. I, I, for example, have been an EA member for almost 20 years now, and in that time I've seen a lot of changes. Um, what do you think will the fly-in and, and the organization as a whole be like even 10 years from now? What's in the future? That's a great question. Let me look at the flying first because, uh, you know, when I look back to, say, the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and so forth, it wasn't really until after the visit of the Concord, which was a milestone event back in mid-85, that the perception of the flying changed from a relatively local or regional or even domestic event to start taking on the impact of a global event and reach out to the broad spectrum of the aviation community, not just general aviation. And, and Oshkosh today has grown to become... Uh, one of the aviation's premier events and is, is, is ranked in, in the same category of importance as places like Paris and Farmers, but still has its unique personality. So it's nice to be ranked at that category, but understand that it's, it really is an event all to its own. Uh, having said that, I think looking out over the next 10 years, what you're going to see is continued importance of Oshkosh in the industry uh, as it's an opportunity to, uh, for lack of a better word, sell products, number one, but more importantly, Oshkosh has become the home of innovation. It's that that each year people want to announce the latest and greatest in technology or aircraft design or new models that are being introduced. 
and the same is true again this year. So whether it's White Knight 2 or something from Garmin or Aston Avionics or Honeywell or the list goes on and on and on, uh, this is where the innovations and people come to Oshkosh to see the latest and best in not only innovation but craftsmanship. Uh, for, you, as you mentioned, you've been a new member for 20 years, and each year you come and look at the home builds and say they can't get any better, and every year they get better. It's amazing mm-hmm. what people do uh, when they put their minds to it. So uh, I see Oshkosh has continued to have a growing impact on the industry and and uh, the, the area of innovation and become that, that annual battery charger that keeps us going from year to year. In other words, that yeah. new <laughs> charge for a week it gives, us, it gives us the ability to get the other 50 weeks going. And so the, the impact of the event is not just the one week you're there. It's what it does for the aviation community the other 51 weeks a year. And it's interesting, as Rights DA, we are going to be announcing soon Oshkosh 365, which is the ability to bring the speakers, the excitement, the activities of Oshkosh to people on a 365-day basis through social community. And we'll have more on that, and you'll be one of the first to hear about it when we announce it. And so the template of Oshkosh in terms of innovation, participation, high standards, will be the template of the organization. That's great. The impact of EA, the impact of EA really is grow, the opportunity to grow aviation. We are, we're the organization that can reach out to the enthusiast who's looking for a way to get engaged, and once they're engaged, follow the path they want to go, whether it's pilot, owner, maintenance, volunteer. Uh, there's so many ways to get involved in aviation. We're, we want to be that, that initial step that brings them in and lets them pick the way they want to go in their aviation uh, opportunities. Mm-hmm. I've been kind of monopolizing your time here. Jeb, Dave, you have any questions for Tom? Tom, just one thing. I was looking at the uh, the, the site map and how things have changed, uh, particularly since last year. The the old tower is gone. You put in the diagonal roads. Uh, the, the rearrangements make it look at first blush like you guys are going to make it a lot easier for people to cover a lot more ground with the diagonal roads that you've put in and some of the uh, shuffling of, uh, of areas like the, uh, the, the LSA mall and the fly market and so forth. Uh, hats off to you for really trying to make this a, a, an easier foot experience. And, and that was the whole purpose behind it, Dave. I'm glad you, you saw that come out of it because the, the idea was is to basically allow people to get where they want to go with, with less effort and less steps so that they can go to more places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeb? Well, yeah, I was just going to comment and a question. Um, as one who's been through there on foot and on vehicles, uh, uh, I think you're doing the right thing. It's It's been out of control for the last two or three years, in my memory anyway, and uh, uh, it's good that you're making the, the effort to um, to try to separate foot and vehicular traffic. I did want to ask, uh, one, one of the events that uh, uh, many of us look forward to each year at Oshkosh is the, the Meet the Administrator session. Uh, I, I would presume uh, Administrator Babbitt's going to be coming out for the show and, and we'll, we'll continue that tradition. That, that is correct. He'll be arriving and uh, I think the Nitty Administrators on Thursday, the convention, could be arrived on Wednesday and be there for GA Awards presentations at the Nitty the the Administrator, and various other activities. I think uh, Administrator Battle will be with us three days. I think it's, he arrives on Wednesday, the 20, 29th, and he's on Saturday. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's good. That's good. And, that's good. And we'll have a full complement of FAA personnel there, which is important because they're there to meet with their constituents. It's a chance to get them out of Washington in the field. Uh, what about TSA? What about the PSA? Uh, the list of persons have been... <laughs> yeah. PSA is another situation. That, right, yeah. I mean, well, we're going to have congressional representatives. We're going to have TSA, or I mean FA, but uh, the TSA representation, we have nothing official from that standpoint. Yeah, okay. Um, I know you're real busy and got to run. Uh, is there anything we didn't ask you that you wanted to tell us about the fly-in or EAA or anything before we... Well, gonna... I think the, you know, the thing that's exciting for me about the fly-in is the fact that we've got these great programs and activities and the advanced metrics are bearing out. This will be a great year. Uh, last year, we started advanced ticket sales for the first time, and this year's advanced ticket sales are running 33% ahead of last year. Mm. And, and so that's engaging. Our camper registrations are running about 10% ahead of last year. So it looks like that people are looking at the breakouts, and if there's only one thing I can do in my aviation interest, it's going to Oshkosh. And so yeah. <laughs> uh, it was interesting. I got a note from the uh, Bonanza's group the other day, or the Bonanza's to Oshkosh. Normally, they have between 90 and 100 airplanes. This year, they have 135 registered. Yeah, wow. that's great. That's so really great. Yeah. The, the excitement's uh, building. Looking forward to seeing you come out here in a couple of weeks. Yep. We'll yeah, be there. Uh, we're, 
We're looking forward we're to seeing you sooner, also. Tom. We're coming sooner than it. It's, it seems like the departure date gets a little earlier every year. But that's, that's right. It that's right. Really. But yeah, we'll see you soon up there. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Okay, thank thanks, you, guys. Thank you, Tom, for taking the time. We appreciate it, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks a lot. I appreciate the call. As always, terrific for Tom to take a few minutes um, to uh, to join us here in the hangar and uh, hear his perspective on the changes out there and what's coming up. Um, you know, you you would think with the economy being kind of messed up that this might be a quiet year at, at Oshkosh, but it sounds like it's going to be a big year, both in terms well, of stuff yeah. they've got there and people that are going to attend. And You know, it's, it's interesting. I think last year uh, at Oshkosh and, and earlier this year at Sun and Fun, you know, everybody went into it with lowered expectations, and that's probably not a bad thing to do in, in the current environment. But um, I think both shows exceeded even even uh, normal expectations as far as uh, perhaps not warm bodies, but certainly as far as uh, enthusiasm and uh, uh, quality uh, of those who attended. I, I wonder, um, you know, A... Uh, if uh, people are trying to save a buck and, and taking advantage of uh, uh, of the inducements to register uh, for the show early, register for the campgrounds early, uh, I wonder if you know people are camping to try to save a buck also. Um, but uh, I also think that uh, a lot of people um, set aside the time. Yeah. They set aside a budget uh, because of however bad things might be or however good things might be. They always want to try to make it to Oshkosh. That's so. a really good point, man. We've got friends that we know that, you know, what the, their their family tradition is to go to Colorado and ski in the wintertime or, you know, go to the uh, uh, South Padre Island down on the Gulf, mm-hmm. Gulf Coast uh, for spring break or winter vacation or, uh, you know, there's a, there's a tradition among a lot of people. And a lot of people, even if they don't go every year, they they know far enough in advance that they want to that this is the year they're mm-hmm. going to do it, and compared to a lot of other things that you can do, uh, I've never really felt like Oshkosh was any better or worse in a lot of ways than uh, a lot of other alternatives, and certainly should get you know the, your pass paid for. Uh, many Christmas dawn to after dark activities for six days. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's or absurd. seven days actually. You know, they pack in a lot of stuff, and the action doesn't stop at sunset mm-hmm. uh, between the, the, the campground movies and the theater and the woods. And my personal favorite, the uh, the friends you meet around campfires all over the all over yeah, the showground. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And speaking of which, um, I wanted to uh, just call everyone's attention to the fact we are going to be uncontrolled airspace. We'll be at uh, at AirVenture again this year. We're going to be recording two episodes from uh, the uh, showgrounds once again. Uh, one on the... Uh, f- go ahead. They let them come back? Yeah, I know. Amazing, but true. Uh, we're going to record one on the it's evening of the, f- of the first day, Monday evening, uh, at uh, right after the Daily Air Show, which is probably around 6 o'clock or so. We'll record one episode, uh, almost certainly from the front deck of uh, EA Radio there out on the flight line. Woohoo! My yeah. favorite spot in all the world. It is a great spot. And then we'll also be recording a second episode on the final day, on the morning, uh, Sunday morning, um, around, it's, the, the time is not totally clear just yet, 9.30, 10.30, something like that on Sunday morning, also from the front deck out there. So, uh, um, and all this stuff is streamed on EA Radio uh, on the internet, so you can listen uh, live wherever you are, uh, uh, on the grounds or around the world. Uh, and, uh, and, and of course, we'll package it up and put it into our podcast feed as well. And then speaking of campfires, um, I wanted to call attention to the fact that listener Jim G has taken on the task of trying to coordinate um, some casual uh, UCAP meetups uh, during the duration of the week, mm. and so there's a lot of discussion going on in the uh, in the uh, website forums. Uh, if you're interested in uh, in you know sort of participating in the uh, decision making process and kind of trying to plan when and where and whether we do one or two or five or you know whether we do North Forty or or uh, VAA Red Barn or whatever. 
whatever. Um, that discussion is going on in the forums. I'd urge you to go and take a look there and uh, participate. When they kind of finally shake out what the times and dates and locations are, we'll put a box on the f- on the homepage of the website so that you can kind of get a quick reference of of where UCAP listeners will be gathering. And um, I'm hopeful that that one or more of the three of us, uh, or, or the extended five of us, counting uh, Amy and James, um, will be in attendance at, at uh, each of those uh, meetups. We're looking forward to uh, getting together with folks and, and uh, hanging out yeah, around that campfire. I, I, I would support that, and I'll certainly be there if I can physically make it. So. Yeah, so that's great. Uh, that's, All right, that's we better move on here. There's a couple other uh, couple of the stories I think we wanted to touch on here before we wrap this one up this week. Um, the first, I had one quick question. Do they stream... That live over the EAA website? I'm not sure the URL, but I'm pretty sure if you go to EAA.org, or maybe it's airventure.org slash radio is the link, or just go to the front page. They're going to have a big presence this year. There's going to be a lot of exciting uh, new things that uh, EAA Radio is doing this year. Um, I think we're probably going to have Farid back on the on the in the hangar before we head out um, to tell us a little bit about, about some of the additional stuff. Yeah, but good. Uh, but good. if you check out airventure.org or EAA.org, I'm, I bet you'll find a link to EA Radio, and there will be information about where you can listen live on the Internet. Okay, um, so here's a story that we kind of have to touch on. It's a big story. Uh, it's, it's a very sad story, uh, and this is the continuing uh, investigation into the crash of, of Air France. Uh, am I right? Is it 447 with the, the Air France? That's correct. Air France. Like Air France. 447. Uh, yeah. 447. The news that's come out in the since we last talked um, is is bizarre, if you ask me. Uh, they've suddenly announced that they believe that the aircraft, in fact, hit the water intact and belly first, is what I read. Jeb, I know yeah. you're following this pretty closely. What's the latest yeah. here, and, yes. and what does this mean? What's going on? Uh, July 2nd, um, the... Um, uh, the uh, French, uh, I'm sorry, French uh, equivalent to the NTSB uh, released an interim report, um, as they're required to do under ICAO rules, um, bringing basically uh, uh, the public up to date on the state of the investigation. Um, the uh, basically the last uh, line in the in the meat of the report um, basically said that. Uh, it is ba- based on the records that they've recovered so far. The cabin, uh, some cabin fixtures, um, part of the radome, obviously the vertical stabilizer, um, uh, some other bits and pieces, some some secondary flight controls. They are of the opinion, based on some of the compression uh, um, damage and compression fractures shown in that um, in, in that wreckage, that the aircraft hit the water. Um, basically intact, but with a high vertical uh, descent rate, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's it's unknown um, whether there might have been any rotation or or any uh, movement around uh, any any of the axes uh, at this stage. But they do also say that the vertical stabilizer shows evidence of having departed the airframe. Um, um, with a f- movement uh, forward to the no- toward the nose of the aircraft and to the left, if that makes any sense. Uh, if you t- if you took the vertical stabilizer with your hand and pushed forward into the to the pilot side of the aircraft, that's the the the, the failure mode that they're trying to describe uh, with the vertical stabilizer. Um, they're not uh, going much further beyond that at this stage. The interim report in the English version, I should say, of the interim report is 70-something uh, pages long. It's uh, uh, avail- available uh, on the BEA's website. Um, <laughs> they don't have a clue yeah. as to why that airplane crashed, and, and they mainly don't have a clue because they, can't, they haven't found the CVR and the FDR yet. Yeah. When I heard this description, um, hit the water more or less intact, belly first, my thought was flat spin. Does that make any sense? Well, or? That's, that's certainly my, my thought, or certainly one explanation, perhaps, would be a better way to put it. Um, there, there are obviously uh, a lot of difference that would get the airplane to the water more or less intact and in a level attitude. Um, that's certainly one of them. Another one, of course, would be uh, uh, a steep spiral that uh, the pilots tried to recover from at the last minute and 
got the airplane, you know, level, but not soon enough to prevent it from hitting the water. Um, it, there's there's even speculation, perhaps, of an, a, an attempted ditching, uh, although I find that one a little bit far-fetched. Uh, there, there's so many different possibilities. The more uh, that we that we know about this this tragedy, the more questions arise. Yeah, weird, very weird. Um, you're still of the opinion that they will find the uh, recorders eventually. Well, I I, I was very optimistic uh, early on. Uh, I still remain optimistic. I, I think what's going to happen here is. Um, you know, they've got uh, several, um, uh, I'll call them assets, uh, uh, in that arena right now. Uh, some of them uh, from the U.S., some of them from France, some of them from, from uh, other, uh, other countries. Um, I think what's going to happen is after another week or two, um, the, if they don't find the, the wreckage on the bottom and they don't find the CVR and the FDR, um, they will um, take a step or two back. They'll they'll cut certainly cut down on the activity. They'll take a step or two back and uh, try to do some more research. Maybe bring in some very 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 specialized equipment um, and um, take their time going about this. The the um, one of the uh, more pressing problems that they've that they've had to encounter here over the last several days. The um, the crash occurred uh, approximately 02:15 uh, early in the morning of June 1. The uh, sonic uh, pingers attached to the CVR and the FDR are guaranteed for 30 days. Now, 30 days expired eight days ago, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, it's uh, the the technology is such that those pingers are, are emit a strong, consistent signal guaranteed for 30 days but after that the battery technology is such that that it won't so much fade out as just quit yeah uh so i would i would guess that by now those batteries have failed and those pingers are no longer pinging right which actually there's there's experiences where they've found uh black boxes from the pingers well outside the 30-day range because they don't tend to just stop after 30 days, but that's their guaranteed full strength. They tend to taper off and, and diminish in, 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 in uh, decimal it, level. It, it, it depends. Uh, the, the more modern uh, CVRs, FDRs, use of the, the lithium uh, technology, and those batteries generally will just, um, they'll, they'll go, they'll discharge at a constant rate for a long period of time. At some point... Uh, and rather than taper off, they will just stop. Yeah. Uh, earlier technologies and, and other battery technologies would, in fact, taper off uh, um, and still emit some signal after you know maybe a couple of months. But um, wow. people who who um, seem to know what they're talking about relative to this specific equipment on this this specific aircraft uh, have said that you know it, it is lithium battery technology and it will just quit. Um, but here's the thing. Um, and we talked about this earlier on in, in the aftermath of, of this uh, this tragedy uh, about um, other crashes that have occurred over water and how after a year or so of, of research and uh, you know painstaking research and, and, and searching for the wreckage, it was in fact found long after the pingers quit pinging. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, that's absolutely the, the, true. The terrain that they're dealing with there is um, is kind of like the Rocky Mountains, but you know, uh, twelve thousand feet below the surface of the ocean. So it's 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 not hospitable terrain. It is very deep, um, and it's very remote. This is not you know uh, going for a swim off Waikiki or something. Right. Uh, the um, big the big issue. It's not like where, for example, Robert Ballard, the the, the great ocean explorer, found the Titanic, which uh-huh. was in a stretch of the Atlantic where the bottom, although it was quite deep, was actually <laughs> relatively flat. I mean, you know, exactly. It's, it's sitting. Yeah. It's sitting on a on a, a plane. Right. Uh, that you, goes you can on go through. Miles. Right. Go through uh, the the Titanic location. 
situation which in the wreckage kind of sticks up like a sore thumb yeah. relatively speaking you go I guess it's comparable looking for this is is it's completely different and you're looking at rocks you're looking at peaks and valleys and and uh, just very inhospitable terrain you know i i think though that france and airbus have have a lot on the on the line here and uh, i think that uh, they will eventually, if they have to send down, you know, visual robots uh, to search every square inch of the of the the suspected impact zone, they will eventually do that, and they will eventually find this. It might take them a year or two. Yeah, It'll be pretty yeah, this isn't going to get shrugged off after sixty days because yeah. uh, somebody goes, oh well, it's been a couple of months now, yeah. we give yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to happen. All right. No. Moving on. Uh, okay, so I just have to talk about the snails. I, we have to talk about the snails. I know we're running out of time here, but uh, we're not running out of time, but we're going to wrap this up early today. And we, But I want to talk about the snails. So what's the deal here? The airplane crashed, and in the, prob- in the process of doing the investigation, they discovered snails in the fuel tank. Is this what happened? Yeah, I, haven't, I haven't read the NTSB prelim on this. I should probably go do that. But we're, we're referencing a, uh, uh, an article in Republican uh, I'm sorry, the Republican Journal Reporter, which apparently is a Maine-based newspaper, talking about a, um, an accident that occurred last month uh, involving a Cessna U-206. Um, um, June 15 crash, actually. Uh, Victor Hall of Rockland, Maine, apparently was, was the pilot. Uh, the aircraft apparently lost power shortly after takeoff and crashed about 800 feet out from uh, the Islesboro Airport. Um, he's, uh, I don't know if that was a, a 91, I'm sorry, a 91 flight or a 135 flight, but, uh, um, the, uh, the report noted that, um, um, there was, um, uh, let's see if I can find this exact phraseology here. Um, um, I can't yeah. find the exact phraseology. I know it was in I'll, there, wasn't it? It was uh, um, the, the the NTSB noted water and a snail in one of the fuel tanks of the airplane. Now, um, according to the pilot, he he sumped water uh, out of the tanks until the fuel samples were free of water. Um, everything was normal. Um, had a slight stumble after he took off, and then it just the power just started to wind down. Um, but it, it, they, they, the, uh, the he was uh, traveling at a snail's pace. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Fire that boy. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. Drained, you know, they drained 21 gallons of fuel from the other wing tank. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and there was nothing wrong. Uh, so, so the report offered, here it is, the report offered no explanation for the water and the snail, which was in the plane's right <laughs> header tank. It says header tank. I don't know that the 206 has header tanks, but uh, um, the whole thing is just bizarre. Uh, I, I, was, I was talking with uh, um, one of my neighbors uh, earlier today, actually, about um, a plane crash uh, of which she was aware, and uh, she'd mentioned that the, um, the fuel drains on the airplane in question had rusted shut. Yeah. Um, which right away tells me that, you know, I, I can think of three problems right off the top of my head uh, when your fuel drains are rushed and shut. Yeah. But, uh, um, anyway, uh, you know, the guy, um, there's a picture of the wreckage and, you know, took a wing off and, and, uh, Whatnot, but they say they started the engine uh, on the on the fuel system in the airplane, on the fuel and the fuel system in the airplane, and it ran there at the crash site. So I don't know what's what's going on. I don't, I I, I want to go check my fuel tanks for snails, though. Well, How do you check your? This is my question. Yeah, go ahead, Dave. Well, you put you you, you put a cup of drawn butter next to the fuel. Tank. <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. You, 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 you put a cup of drawn butter next. To the, to the sump, and, <laughs> and you, open neck. The, you open the fuel. No, no, no. You put it next to the sump. Then you open the fuel uh. neck, and the snail eventually slides out the filler neck, trying to get away from the drawn butter. <laughs> There you go. Okay. There you go. All right. Well, all right. That's it. We've done and, that in the death here. That's and then you 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 capture it with a long thin little fork. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Shout outs, David. Tell us about Tony Condon. 
Well, Tony Condon's uh, one of our UCAP listeners, a uh, young man relocated here to uh, uh, Wichita. I guess it was last year, late. Uh, works for Spirit Aerosystems as an engineer, and he's an independent CFI. Uh, he was, uh, he's, he's been in and out of the forums, and I see Tony occasionally here with the CAF breakfast folks. And uh, a little over a week ago, Tony was awarded his master certificated flight instructor, uh, which is a small accomplishment. According to the list found, there are only, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven master instructors listed for Kansas. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, that's quite an accomplishment. And three of those are in Salina for some reason. Uh, they're probably one, because one they work Tom, at K-State uh, University. One of, them is Tom Turner. one of them is Tom Turner. One of them is Tom Turner. That's correct. Yeah. 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 Tony, it should be pointed out, is also uh, or was one of the regulars on uh, the late lamented pilot cast. Uh, he was uh, part of their CFI cast, a spinoff podcast. So uh, uh, a good guy and uh, a contributor from time to time to our forums. Uh, and uh, congratulations well, we to Tony. We just wanted to give a shout out and say congratulations, Tony, on your MCFI. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Um, I wanted to call attention to the fact uh, James Winbrandt uh, sent me an email asking me to, uh, and I didn't know about this, this is very cool, uh, he says that uh, the National Aviation Hall of Fame is holding their annual induction ceremony on July 17th and 18th, and they'll be honoring uh, the Apollo astronauts. Thirteen of them will be in attendance, and mm-hmm. uh, they are trying to make sure that the public knows about this, and, and uh, they want to dis- disseminate uh, a last-minute advisory about it. So uh, uh, if you're at all interested that kind of thing, uh, you should uh, check out their website, which is www.nationalaviation.org, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, pay our respects to these great American heroes and these these uh, well, pioneers. And, 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 if, and help make it easy on you. That's the same week in their show. So say it again, Dave. It's the what? It's the what? Said to help you out in planning whether to attend. That's the same weekend as the Dayton Air Show. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Which is where where the National Aviation Hall of Fame is located. Convenient. Uh, How convenient. Can, uh, That's you right. Can double yeah. up. You could go to the Dayton Air Show and then uh, the National Aviation Hall of Fame induction. Yeah. Um, Five, Jeb, six, are six, are six, any other shoutouts? Anybody got anything? Not, no, not tonight. Okay. Yeah, I think the Internet has definitely told us it's time to yeah, uh, wrap it's, this it's, thing up tonight. It's, uh, it's uh, between your Internet connection and my hotel connection here. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's actually amazing that we made it this far. Some guy down hall from you is, is um, downloading a lot of porn. That's what you he's know, doing, right. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds What's me that? of a French pastry. It reminds me of a French pastry. It's a little flaky. Okay. Well, here's a pastry segue here. It's time to stick a fork in this one. Uh, we want to thank Tom Poporezny, the uh, chairman of the board and president of the Experimental Aircraft Association, for taking a few minutes out of his incredibly busy schedule to uh, join us here in the hangar. We're looking forward thank to seeing you, Tom, him in person in just a couple weeks. If you want to learn more about uh, AirVenture and EAA in general, go to eaa.org or airventure.org. And Jeb, Jeb Burnside is an aviation journalist currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, people, where can people, yeah, it's easy for me to say. Jeb, where can people find you on the Internet? On the Internet, when it is working better than it is tonight, uh, you can find me at Aviation Safety Magazine, all one word, dot com. Uh, that's my day job. Uh, JEBurnside.com is a personal website, and I pop up every now and then. So uh, yeah. if, you, if you can't find AvWeb, um, uh, call me. Okay, call you. We'll put your phone number in the show notes. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not. And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the Internet? Oh, the World Aircraft Sales folks like AvBuyer.com. Uh, where you can find back issues of the magazine with uh, my stuff and, and some other interesting writers. Uh, Biz is my photo site, uh, where you can just Google me and then weed out the theoretical physicist and the golf writer. Okay. 
And I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at uh, jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. Big thanks once again to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. That's Scoffrejet in the forums. Also, thanks to many of our listeners, and particularly to Mike Morgan and Royce Earl for their uh, show opening disclaimer clips that we play at the beginning of every episode. What? What fun. <laughs> yeah, they're great. They're great. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 5 or $10 over the span of a year is a big help to us. And don't forget that you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, you can view the forums, check out the wiki, the airport restaurants list, the aviation movies list, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say? If you want to live long like us, go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. <laughs> That's right. That's live enough talking. Long like us. I know. I know, really. <laughs> That's, That's enough talking. <laughs> Let's go flying. <laughs> TTFN. 